Good morning. It's Tuesday, July 20th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott, joined right now by Brad Crawford, 24-7 Sports National writer. Brad and I are both in, I guess we're in Hoover. We're in Birmingham as well, Brad, but this is technically Hoover, Alabama. And we're both in the same hotel, but not the same room because we just don't have the podcast equipment to do that. We're uh, I'm on floor nine, Brad. Where are you? I'm on floor five, right, right between you and SEC Media Days. Yeah, I'm looking out and I've I've got the the roof of the mall and it looks like it's about to start pouring. We had a and it's freezing cold in my hotel room just as it as it was in the conference rooms here at SEC Media Days on day one. It was great to see you. I'm excited to see you again. Go to get some dinner after we podcast, Brad. And uh, you you were an animal today. You did, you did a dispatch on every single team. Uh, on SEC Media Days, and, and I'm excited to talk to you about Florida, LSU, and South Carolina. I do think we have to start this podcast episode, Brad, by talking about the SEC vaccination push. I promise I'm not getting political here, but uh, it was the first thing Greg Sankey talked about. He mentioned that only 43% of the football teams uh, in, in playing numbers at 6 of 14 have reached the 80% threshold of roster vaccination. He said that needs to grow and grow rapidly. There are still going to be a roster minimum, probably 53, just like last year for college football games. But if an SEC team has a roster that gets ravaged by COVID, that will be a forfeit at loss. And that game will not get made up. He said, you hope to not have disruption, but hope is not a plan, is what Greg Sankey had to say about that. This is notable because it's, well, we all think this year is going to be it's fantastic, and it's going to be an awesome renaissance year of college football, but it would be dumb at this point, Brad, in mid-July with COVID cases rising and, and it kind of marring the Tokyo Olympics and the stock market down 2% today because of fears of the Delta variant to, to think that there won't be some hiccups. So Greg saying he, is, he couldn't be more plain about it or matter of fact about it, that he wants his teams to get vaccinated. And I don't, I don't think he's very happy with how it's going. No, we saw the SEC roll out a slogan, even Trey, on their slideshow presentation inside the main ballroom was the SEC backs the vax, you know, with the photo of a of a bandaid, I think it was. So it's pretty obvious that the commissioner of the SEC wants to have a full college football season. And like Greg Sankey said at the podium, you know, this is not a college football schedule that we can afford to start late and, you know, have have games rescheduled two weeks later and trade opponents and that kind of stuff like we did last season. The the schedule is set, and I, I think Greg Sankey and his constituents are pretty clear on the fact that if you do not have a full roster that's healthy and, and ready to go one week, w- w- you know, whether you have a home game or a road game, it's going to be a forfeit. There's not going to be any uh, rescheduled games being played, you know, before the SEC championship. So it would be in every SEC program's best interest without trying to get too political here to uh, get those players vaccinated. I know you can't force a player to – you know, take a COVID-19 vaccination. But, you know, if, if these guys want to try to get to Atlanta this season, all, all 14 programs are trying their hardest to do that. Vaccinations are probably the best route. Well, I, I'm really interested to see what Nick Saban says on Wednesday when he's asked if his teams met the vaccination threshold because the coaches today 
said they didn't really want to get into it. Um, and, and I saw Shane Beamer later. Conf- I, I appreciated his honesty. He told our Brandon Marcello one-on-one his team had not met the threshold yet, but he, he hoped they would. Um, but most of the coaches were were not really w- willing to go there. Ed Orgeron said it, it's a personal choice. Uh, hopefully towards the season, though, most of our guys decide to get vaccinated. So we will see. That's all we'll say about it. I understand completely that no one wants to listen to a college football podcast and hear about vaccinations because this is an escape from all of that crap happening in the world, but that's, it's the reality. And if Greg Sankey's going to start his day talking about it, then I guess we have to, to Brad, let's move on to the teams. Start with Florida. Dan Mullen got to go first. I think the takeaway here and tell me if I'm wrong, but you did write a column about it. They're not even acting like there's a quarterback battle. This is Emory Jones's job. Props to Dan Mullen for not faking like they, like he has right. a battle between Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. Yeah, it sounds like his QB1 is Emory Jones, who has been at Florida three years. He has studied, you know, Mullen's system and scheme. And and Dan has said several times this offseason, Trey, and he reiterated that point today that, you know, he's going to change some things offensively in, in that playbook to kind of cater to Emory Jones' strengths. And, you know, he mentioned that before Emory Jones signed with the Gators that, he could tell he was a confident quarterback just based on some of the text message exchanges, you know, he had with the guy. So, you know, we saw Emory Jones play behind Kyle Trask. Those are huge shoes to fill. But, I mean, Dan made a pretty solid point at the podium. He said last time at SEC Media Days, a bunch of you guys out there in the audience questioned, you know, some of the receivers we, we lost to the NFL. And then what do we do? We, we produce college football's best tight end in Kyle Pitts. And it sounds like um, he expects production numbers to really not drop off all that much with Emory Jones. You you will see a more mobile quarterback. I think you'll see Emory's escapability a bit this season. But yeah, for, for those picking Florida to go seven and five, one of those things I I probably should have asked Dan today was, you know, some of these second and third place finish projections in the East with what's your feelings on that? I, I would have liked to have known, you know, is, is Dan kind of using that as inside the locker room material. He didn't say at the podium, but I saw this on Twitter. Someone asked him about at the East being Georgia's to lose. Yeah. He says something to the effect of, didn't you say that last year? And hey, Ooh. you, Brad, great point about, you said last time he was at Media Days, that was right. obviously 2019. I just want to say, I was here, and the quarterback they brought was Felipe Franks. So to sit here and act like the loss of Kyle Trask is just going to be absolutely debilitating to Florida, he's a very good player. He was a high draft pick, but at the same time, that was another case of Dan Mullen turning water into wine. Who's to say he won't do it again with Emory Jones, who is a much higher ranked recruit than Kyle Trask. Before we move off Florida, Brad, I have to say it was notable. They brought two defensive players, but uh, what shoes was Dan Mullen wearing? Do you recognize those right off the bat? Immediately, man, they were Jordan three customs. It looked like the pair similar to what Justin Timberlake wore at the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, Few years ago that sort of sparked a mass reaction among sneakerheads and and really since since dan mullen's arrival in florida since they became a jordan brand sponsored program you know he's uh he's donning the jump man with the best of them i don't know if we're going to see any more coaches this week you know wearing the kind of fire footwear that dan mullen had on today but that was pretty interesting and uh surprisingly no one really asked you know the entire day so far trey no one has asked anything really about uh Apparel changes, maybe maybe uniform type deals, or some of the sneakers on the feet. So I'm kind of interested in seeing over these next three days if any of that discussion kind of sparks debate here in Hoover. It's a great point, especially with NIL and branding being so important. Yep. As we move to LSU. 
First of all, Edward Orgeron declined to comment on the the off the field sexual misconduct stuff happening uh, within the LSU athletics department. He was asked that by Pete Thamel, Yahoo Sports writer. I thought it was interesting, Brad. Ed Orgeron compared his team to the 2018 Tiger squad that that went 10 and three, and obviously set up the success of the historic 2019 season. I, I really liked that he did that. It felt like all of last fall, the build up to last fall, not that yeah. he had that much control of the narrative, was. We're just going to repeat 2019. We know we lost all these guys in the NFL, but we're look, look at what we're doing. I like that. This is like a 2018 comparison. It takes the, it takes the heat off this team. They don't have, it to does win the yeah. SEC West, but they kind of have to, that comparison to me means he just wants to see some building blocks go in the right direction. Yeah. It sort of tempers expectations a bit. I mean, if, if Ed Ogeron wins double digit games this season, but doesn't make the college football playoff, I mean, that has to be a positive for LSU fans, right? I mean, any, anything more than that might just be expecting too much. I mean, I do think LSU's roster, however, is going to be good enough to to compete for one of those, you know, final four spots. Certainly, Trey, if we were talking about college football expansion right now, LSU would be a team that's a, a shoe in for that top 12. But quarterback room is going to be very good in Baton Rouge. Two proven guys. We, we saw Max Johnson take that spot, you know, by the, by the horns last season, last couple of weeks. And uh, beating Florida on the road, big game there. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, that Johnson versus Miles Brennan battle here in fall camp. Ogeron didn't say too much about today, but he but he did say how deep, you know, that quarterback room is even after losing, you know, TJ Finley to Auburn. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out when you compare your team to 2018, does that mean you're you're trying to go with Miles Brennan or, or Max Johnson? I, I don't know if it, that answer doesn't tell me anything because in 2018, Joe Burrow, he was the new guy, but he still had a year to go. So I don't, I, I, I can't, I can't split the difference there, but it will be interesting to see. Uh, they, they brought Derek Stingley as well. Brad, we have to mention right now the, the podium interviews, the players, it's not really working. Derek Stingley is a future NFL superstar. And it's just, it's really just hard to like get a fun moment with these players. Um, I asked him about, are you going to play offense? Do you want to play offense? He gave me some coach speak, you know, as he was trained up to do, but I just, I, I don't, I don't care for for the you used to be able to to anyone listening, obviously everyone's listening. Um you used to be able to go to separate corners of the room where you could have a yeah. little bit more of an intimate moment with the players and now you're just yelling at them as they're behind a podium and they just are not giving you anything. Yeah, I mean Stingley is one year away, Trey, from pretty much being untouchable as far as interviews go. He's going to be a top 10 pick, and then he'll do interviews based on what his contract dictates. So this was kind of Derek Stingley's uh, opportunity to shine, maybe, so to speak, and, you know, putting players right there in the main room on the pedestal and and really not much else here in Hoover. I think it kind of – I wouldn't say it decreases a chance of brightening their star, but, I mean, look, when when you have, like, Tua Tagovailoa come to Hoover or, or Joey – Joey Burrow a couple of years ago. I mean, those those guys built their brands here this week, you know, before fall practice starts. And that's just something that we're not going to see from some of these big name guys this week. People will roll their eyes that you said that, but it is absolutely true. Joe Burrow was an absolute alpha two summers ago here. Hoover's yeah. the red carpet, you know? Yep. Yeah. He almost knew. He almost knew what he was about to do to the rest of the conference. He was an absolute uh, rock star. I'm glad you said that, Brad. Uh, if Derek Stingley had 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 a moment today where he was super quotable and super fun and, and a little bit swaggy. There would have been a story written about it. And you know what a, a nice headline can do for a player in the NIL era. South Carolina, you take it from here. You tell me what you learned about Shane Beamer's Gamecocks today. I thought Shane did a pretty good job, Trey, of uh, preaching his message that obviously was sort of scripted the first five to 10 minutes. So Gamecocks have had a great 
you know, June and July on the recruiting trail. I think 24-7 sports composite, we have them number 19 now, 12 verbal commits since the second week of June. And that's, that's the most in college football among Power 5 programs. I think Shane sort of alluded to that today without really saying it directly. You know, coaches can't speak on recruiting, but there's another – a composite four-star tight end out there and Oscar Delp that Shane kind of spoke about today. Didn't didn't mention him by name, but talked about how South Carolina's offense under Shane Beamer's leadership is going to be run the ball and tight end heavy, which is, uh, you know, what a player like Delp wants to hear. So Shane knows that, you know, Rome is not built in a day. This, this team's Vegas win total, Trey, is I think four and a half for this fall. I asked Shane from my seat, you know, what were the what would you consider to be success in year one at South Carolina and how will you get that program back to national prominence? And he answered the second part of that question pretty well. I thought the first part, he kind of skipped around it because you, you never want to say we want to get to a bowl game and then they, you know, go, go three and nine and fans aren't happy. So Shane's on a five-year deal at South Carolina. And it's pretty obvious to me that uh, Gamecock fans are in this for the long haul with Beamer and, you know, willing to sort of accept some growing pains. The schedule is really difficult. Brings me to the last point I want to talk about. Brandon Marcello talked to, I don't know who the czar of the SEC schedule making is, but, and, and he came back to our, to where, where we were sitting and, and told us that the scoop there was there's not going to be any sort of change to the schedule. They're, they're not going to go to nine. Um, they're going to, they're not going to, you know, switch up. At least the, for now. Yeah. yeah they're not going to switch up the cross divisional stuff. And that's really hard for South Carolina, Brad, when A&M is your locked in cross divisional, there's not a world in which the Aggies in the next few years drop out of the top 15. And, you know, if they do, Jimbo Fisher will lose his job, I think. It made that really anti-negative A&M when I'm trying to say that they're going to be an absolute powerhouse for a few seasons. You have. To you can't Jordan sign multiple season. top 10 classes and, yeah. and not expect to compete for playoff for us, too. Right. So, yeah, and if not with that salary, yeah, you're, you're in trouble. So you got A&M, you've got Georgia, you got Clemson every year. I mean, come on. That doesn't even include Florida. Yeah, I mean, there's you were saying you were telling me, Brad, that South Carolina is intentionally trying to get away from those. At our age, we remember growing up that it's the Thursday night the Gamecocks start college football with a pretty sure. good opponent, and they just cannot do that right now. It might be fun for the television makers for, for South Carolina even to play North Carolina in week one, but you just can't do it anymore. I mean, look at look at NC State trade too. That's another regional rival of the Gamecocks, and Dave Dorn I think has won nine games two of the last three years. So that's that's another under the radar program that South Carolina just can't put on the schedule. But yeah, schedule favorability is never going to be in the Gamecocks' favor. I think Shane Beamer knows that. They're going to have to find ways, however, to, you know, snap these skids against the Tennessees, Kentuckys, Missouris of the world. I mean, those 50-50 games for for middle-of-the-road SEC programs, no disrespect to the Gamecocks, but, you know, to to go 7-5, and 8-4 and four annually, which is ultimately the goal with an occasional, you know, SEC East title, you have to win those 50-50 games. And the Gamecocks, really since Steve Spurrier jumped ship in 2014, I think it was, they haven't beat Kentucky consistently, have not beaten Missouri consistently, and they've struggled with Tennessee. So those are the three games I think this season are going to be sort of the uh, barometer games for Shane Beamer. Um, week two at East Carolina is also a big game. Um, Pirates are going to be a better football team. And if South Carolina goes on the road and loses in Greenville, there's going to be some angry fans. I'll just say that. Well, they they flashed the roster behind the coaches, and I was looking at it. I talked myself into a five and two start for South Carolina, which would include a win over Tennessee. So, I mean, if that happens, my goodness. So, um, 
Brad, let's let's wrap this up. We got a big day tomorrow, so we can't stay out too late at dinner tonight. The morning starts with Georgia. You also get Tennessee, Kentucky. Everyone's sleeping on. Let's give Kentucky some respect tomorrow. And then Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin back at SEC Media Days. That's going to be a really fun time. Follow Brad Crawford all week long. Brad is doing a fantastic job already at B Crawford 247. Churning out copy, asking Shane Beamer questions making funny remarks. We, we won't share all of them, Brad, but I, I thought you were a pretty fun uh, desk mate today at SEC Media Days. Our producer is Lance Glenn. My name is Trey Scott. Have a great day. We'll talk to you on Wednesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On May 23rd, I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not going to survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus.